Hello friends, thank you for joining me today on the Truckers Following Christ podcast. My name is Pastor Steve, I'm your host and guide as we study through a number of passages of scripture that deal specifically with the end times. Now if you listened to the last episode, you uh, will have heard my particular view on uh, the events uh, of the end times and uh, the view that I hold to and kind of the the world view from which I'm coming from. Uh, it's important for you to understand that so that you uh, know the context of what I'm talking about. So just a brief recap, um, what I hold to as far as the view of the end times is what's called either apostolic or historic premillennialism with a victorious praying church, and in particular the uh, rapture, the catching up of the church being a post-tribulational rapture, so after the uh, tribulation, more specifically at the seventh trumpet, which I spent some time talking about. Um, According to this view, so having the historic premillennialism with a victorious praying church, according to that view, the church is going to be victorious in love with power during this, this time of history that is going to be the most dramatic time that we can imagine and that we have seen on this planet. Uh, There's a number of passages that I'd like to bring to uh, your remembrance. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. Uh, This passage is a great passage to study. Uh, Ephesians is is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Uh, Chapter 5, there's a lot that deals with relationships. And as you get further down in the chapter, starting with verse 21, uh, it starts talking about marriage and it gives the example of how marriage is a picture of Jesus and his bride, the church. And when you get down to verse 25, uh, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So Christ is accomplishing a tremendous work in the church. Uh, I want to uh, have a quick bunny trail for you. Um, I have mentioned numerous times that the church is going to be maturing because Christ is looking for a bride that, as this passage said, is prepared, sanctified, and cleansed uh, without spot or wrinkle. And he is going to use the events of the tribulation to bring about that maturity in the church. Uh, I grew up in the context of um, my parents serving as missionaries to Eastern Europe behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, 
and the church behind the Iron Curtain was a persecuted church. So I experienced firsthand what these pastors and these congregants of the various churches went through uh, in staying true to their faith and standing up to a, an oppressive regime. And persecution is an amazing tool that God uses. I remember in Romans 8.28 it says that he is able to use anything and make it, uh, make it beautiful, essentially. So uh, it is, uh, although we have trouble, Jesus has overcome the world. So we need to uh, keep our eyes on him. But persecution is a tool that God uses to move the church when the church is being stagnant or is being rebellious. If you think about the book of Acts, uh, the church had been commanded by Jesus to go into all the world, to preach the gospel, to baptize, make disciples, and What were they doing after Christ's ascension? They were waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Now that is what they were supposed to do, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. But then they were supposed to go out into all the world and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. The problem was they got comfortable and they stayed in Jerusalem and there was not much going out into the world that was happening. So God allowed persecution to come at the hand of the Romans to and the Jews uh, to cause the church to disperse so that they would go into all the world. So persecution, uh, from what I saw growing up, see, seeing the, um, the time before the Iron Curtain fell and the time after, under persecution, the church grew tremendously in the East. After that wall came down, and we're grateful that the wall came down, we're grateful that that persecution ended, But what happened was a false freedom came in and a a desire to experience what the West had to offer. And so the churches, before the curtain fell, they were full, they were packed to the brim, they were, uh, children were sitting there taking notes on the sermons. There would be three or four sermons, the, the services would last for hours and hours, and people would be standing outside looking through the windows, trying to catch a glimpse of what was being said and what was going on. After the curtain fell, that was no longer the picture. The church no longer was busting at the seams. They had experienced a false freedom. Freedom only comes from Christ, and freedom is not a, uh, a worldly freedom, when it, uh, what, what Scripture talks about. Freedom is the ability to worship Jesus, to follow Him, to listen to Him, to do what He calls us to do, and to know that He holds us in His hand. He is protecting us, taking care of us, watching over us, guiding us, carrying us. What the world offers as freedom is not what Christ offers as freedom. So 
the church is being matured and God will use the tribulation to push the church into maturity. Uh, so the historic premillennialism view with the victorious praying church also uh, gives the church confidence and also an urgency to uh, partner with Jesus in what he is going to be doing. Uh, an amazing passage also in Ephesians is chapter 4. In chapter 4, it talks about the unity that Christ is going to bring about. Uh, it says he, in verse 11 of chapter 4, he himself, so Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So these are, this is the, the five-fold ministry uh, that he has given as gifts to the church. And he's done that for the equipping of the saints. So we are to be equipped by those who have those callings. Uh, they are to be equipped for the work of ministry. So we are to be doing the work of ministry. It is for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we are to minister to one another. And then verse 13 says an amazing thing. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Can you imagine what that will look like when the church has been brought into maturity? We'll all come to the unity of the faith. Imagine the global church, all the denominations will not matter anymore. We'll be in unity under Jesus' leadership will come to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is why he's given the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. How amazing is that? So back to um, the end times uh, passage that we are beginning to look at, which is Matthew chapter 24. Um, there is a lot to say about this, and we will, we will delve into it in, in different portions. But what I'd like to do today is give you a brief overview of the time frames that are described, not only in Matthew 24, but other passages as well. There are three time frames that we need to understand in studying the end times. The first time frame is the birth pains, um, the beginning of birth pains. So let me read Matthew 24, uh, starting with verse 3. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, is Jesus, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the disciples had some questions that they were unclear of. They wanted to get Jesus' take on the things as they are processing what he had just been doing. If you back up a chapter, you'll see that he was 
uh, talking to and about the scribes and the Pharisees and was declaring to them that they are not doing what God had wanted them to do. Uh, He declares woes over them. And uh, he, at the end of that passage in chapter 23, he laments over Jerusalem because of the, uh, the killing of the prophets that Jesus had sent to them to declare the things to come, and they would not listen to the prophets. So in the beginning of chapter 24, Jesus uh, and his disciples, they... Uh, depart from where they were teaching they, they, from, the, from the temple. And his disciples, they come to him, and it says in verse 1, they came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Now, I think that he's not just talking about the structure, but he's talking about the things that he had just been uh, complaining about that the scribes and Pharisees were not uh, teaching and doing what they were teaching. They were uh, hypocrites, is what he called them. Uh, so, do you not see all these things? Jesus asks. Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, there's a lot in that, what he said. He is talking about a physical, but also a spiritual aspect to this. He's looking at the temple and he's saying, this temple, this physical temple is going to be destroyed uh, because God is establishing a brand new thing. Jesus is going to be going to the cross. He's going to die as the Lamb of God slaughtered for us that we can have freedom from sin. We are washed in his blood. We are cleansed. We are made new. We are justified. Uh, we ha- are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And the temple is now the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is our body. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the physical temple was no longer needed. So Jesus was prophesying what then ended up happening in 70 AD when Rome came in and destroyed the city and literally uh, destroyed the temple, throwing down every stone. Um, But he's also talking about the form of worship, the... Uh, the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He did not abolish the law, important to understand. He fulfilled the law. And so he is talking about all of the things that are so important to the generation that Jesus was in. They're not going to be important in the same way. Jesus is going to be the focus. He is the Messiah. He is the one that we need to pay attention to in everything that he does and says and guides and leads. So the disciples, they come to him and they say, okay, we're, we're starting to see the theme here that you're, you're talking about. They still didn't uh, understand everything, but they, they wanted to know what are the signs of your coming? When are these things going to take place? And Jesus essentially gives them three time frames that he breaks this down in. So he starts off saying, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. 
we can see that has been taking place for sure in uh, the last 150 years a lot of cults have been established a lot of uh, people have followed uh, doctrines that are uh, doctrines of demons as scripture calls them uh, there have been many that have proclaimed themselves as being messiah or being uh, an, a reincarnation of a spiritual leader and uh, they are uh, they are prevalent and there is a growing number I, i've just recently encountered some new terms that I didn't know existed and there are even offshoots off of mainstream Christianity that are just uh, falling off the deep end. Verse 6 says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not troubled. Now you need to understand that too because there is a lot of people in this world right now, a lot of Christians who are troubled by everything, the turmoil that is happening, the uncertainty, there's a lot of fear. Jesus has given us a command here. He says, see that you are not troubled. So you're going to hear of wars. You're going to hear of rumors of wars. You can turn on the TV today and uh, we used to... Uh, look at wars and rumors of wars being predominantly not in the nation of America. But today we turn on the news and we're seeing a lot of war happening within, the, within our nation and a lot of rumors of wars. But his command again is, see that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Here's another uh, important point. There are a number of uh, milestones, if you want to call them that, or check marks that have to happen for Christ to be able to come again. If we pray that Jesus would come today, he would violate his own word if he did so. So there are certain things that have to take place. For instance, Israel has to have a temple for Christ to be able to come again because of the events that happen uh, uh, during the tribulation. And we'll, we'll get into the details of that as well. So all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And then he says, verse 7, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. That word pestilence is certainly sticks out in our minds uh, in the generation that we are in right now with uh, coronavirus and all this, uh, an unprecedented situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, and then he says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, I actually like the uh, New International Version, uh, the translation there it says, beginning of birth pains. And that's really what's in view here. The, the whole picture of what is happening in the end times is likened to a woman giving birth. And so uh, I have seven children. I've uh, helped my wife deliver uh, those seven children in, in a variety of capacities. We had six of them born at home. 
and uh, so I was very actively involved with that. Uh, the first one was born in the hospital, but uh, um, I was still there helping with, with the breathing and everything. So those of you that have had children, you know there is a process of time that takes place. Not just the nine months, those obviously are where the baby is growing, but as you get closer to the delivery, the labor pains begin. And there is first the beginning of sorrows uh, is the, uh, the tightening of the womb. Uh, there is uh, pain that starts happening and the intervals of the pain, they, they are far apart at first, but then they get closer and closer and closer and the pain increases and gets more intense and with my wife I could always tell when she was getting ready to give birth because there was a shift in her demeanor, her focus, uh, the, uh, the expression of even how she was breathing, there was a, a very clear change and when that change happened the baby was going to be born within the next hour for sure. And I saw that with every one of my children being born. So these beginning of birth pains, uh, all of these signs that, we, that Jesus mentions here and that we're seeing in our world today, there is a, uh, a squeezing of the womb that is happening. The baby is going to be born. The, the time is coming. So, and it is sure. Uh, a lot of people focus on the pain of labor and they forget about the baby being born at the end. Uh, if you ask uh, uh, most women, they will tell you that once the baby is in their arms, the pain is secondary. The baby is there. The pain was worth it to get the baby. Now the baby obviously in the context of scripture uh, with the end times is uh, Jesus's coming and his setting up of his thousand year reign uh, and so we, we look forward to that. We know for sure that is going to be happening. So that's the first time frame, the beginning of sorrows, the birth pains. I'm going to pause there to give you some time to uh, uh, figure out the things that I've talked about, the passages that I've mentioned, Ephesians 5, Ephesians 4, um, Matthew 24, the first eight verses. Read up on those, and uh, if you end up having any questions, please feel free to uh, comment on the Facebook page of Truckers Following Christ. I'll be happy to try to answer some of your questions. Also want to give you a very good resource. Uh, a lot of the material that I use uh, comes from a ministry called the International House of Prayer uh, in Kansas City. And they have a lot of resources on their website, ihopkc.org, that you can go to and, uh, and start looking into the... Uh, uh, specific passages on the end times. Uh, a lot of helpful resources there. And I uh, look forward to hearing from you and look forward to delving into Matthew 24 some more in the next episode. God bless you.
Welcome to the Truckers Following Christ podcast. My name is Pastor Steve. I am your host and your guide on this journey that we are on. Uh, Particularly, we have started a journey looking at the scripture passages that deal with the end times. Uh, I believe that we are in the beginning of birth pains stage that I started talking about last week. And uh, I want to talk a little bit more about that today. Uh, First, I want to give you an encouragement. There is so much going on in the world that is negative, Uh, not just the actual negative events that are happening, but also the negative reporting. Uh, I am bilingual, so I speak English and German. Uh, I learned some French in school and Latin, uh, but I don't profess to uh, be fluent in either of those. Uh, But in German and English, I am fluent, so sometimes I will uh, look at the uh, German-speaking news uh, just to kind of contrast and compare. I like to to have an an overview of what different regions of the world are saying about current events. And the reporting is negative, 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 no matter what news outlet, news story that you are following or reading, uh, it is disturbing. And uh, what is the response of the body of Christ to be to this? Well, I am so grateful that Jesus gave us the response in his word. Uh, When looking at the last things that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he went to the cross, he gave such an encouragement to his followers uh, in what we should be doing and how we should prepare. The passages that we've started looking at, uh, Matthew 24 in particular, and today I want to show you some of the other passages that are parallel to Matthew 24, Um, but John chapter 14 through 17 is Jesus's last exhortation to his disciples, and he spends the whole time encouraging them and helping them to see that they are not going to be left alone. He's sending the Holy Spirit. In fact, I've mentioned to you numerous times that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Uh, That actually comes from John chapter 14, verse 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. That is super comforting to me because I have found that I, I feel like I forget what Christ has taught me at different times in my life. I go through seasons where I feel disconnected, but it is easy to get reconnected by taking the time to listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, I like to do bunny trails, so here's a little bunny trail for you. I want you to understand the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. So he is actually a person. He is not an it. The Spirit of God is the third person. And it says in this passage, just like I read it, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He 
will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And there's numerous passages in John uh, 14 through 17 where Jesus references the Holy Spirit and his ministry uh, and, and what he, the Holy Spirit, does for the church. Now, if you read this, um, these chapters in John, you'll find that Jesus spends most of the time teaching on the uh, what what Jesus's desire is for his people. We are to be uh, abiding in Christ. We're to be dwelling in Him. We're to be looking forward to what He is preparing for us. He says He's going to prepare a place for us. Uh, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. He's actually constructing. Uh, mansions for us to live in in the New Jerusalem, and we'll talk about that when we get to the Millennial Kingdom. Uh, but it's it's awesome to think about that Jesus uh, is is preparing a place for us. Uh, it's not figurative speech; he's literally preparing a place for us to dwell with him forever. Um, he talks about the. Uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, how our sorrow will be turned to joy, uh, how he has overcome the world. Um, and then he prays for us and he asks God to bind us together in unity and to uh, instill in us the love with which the Father loves the Son. Uh, there's no greater love than God's love. It's perfect love. And he, Jesus prayed that we would be um, in unity, in that bond of love. Um, so when you get discouraged and you feel down and depressed, read John 14 through 17 and get encouragement from what Jesus's exhortation was and his encouragement to his followers. Because the, the whole week surrounding the events of Jesus going into Jerusalem and then uh, going to the temple and, and kicking out the money changers and uh, then going to Bethany and being anointed and, and coming um, to do the Passover and doing uh, going to the cross for us and the resurrection, that whole uh, time frame, that, that week of events is... Uh, monumental for us as the church to pay attention to what did Jesus communicate to his followers in the last moments before he was taken from us and what he spends most of his time doing is talking about his return and the events leading up to that. So we need to be prepared and we need to uh, take serious the warnings that he gave um, and, and do what he encouraged us to do, which over and over again he said, first off, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's his number one teaching throughout scripture. He said that over and over again, repeated it more than any other phrase. Um, and then uh, number two, he said, uh, watch therefore and pray. So we are to watch. Watching means to understand what God is doing in that moment. You know, we can, we can look at the events that are taking place in our world. We can read the news articles, but watching is, is understanding what God is doing in that moment. 
So we see the world going crazy. What does scripture say about it? It says these are the beginning of birth pains, but the end is not yet. Now the end is, uh, the, the starting point is when the tribulation starts, the starting of that last week of years that the book of Daniel talks about. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that as well uh, in some of the next sec- sessions. But um, th- that, that prophetic calendar of God, the clock that has been on pause since the crucifixion of Christ, um, that last week, the, Daniel talks about 70 weeks of years. Uh, going to the cross was 69 weeks of years being fulfilled. So 69 times 7. Um, and then uh, the last week is the, the seven years remaining on the prophetic calendar of God. That's the tribulation time. And that time is broken into two three and a half year uh, sections and there's specific differences between the two what is happening there uh, in the middle of that seven years is when the antichrist is revealed uh, plainly when he sets himself up as god in the re-established jewish temple so um uh and again, that that was that was a bunny trail. Uh, but I, I want you to to understand that when you look at the news and you look at uh, things that are frightening and uh, concerning, and you start feeling in within your spirit just an unsettled feeling, and you you desire to earnestly uh, combat that. The way that you combat it is understanding, watching understanding what God is doing, and praying. Praying is partnering with the heart of God in these things. Uh, praying is not bringing your list of requests to God. Sure, we, we do that, and that, that is totally fine. That's good. Uh, God wants to uh, have us speak the things that are on our heart. But really, the, the key ingredient of prayer is partnering with the heart of God, praying according to his will. And uh, uh, doing that requires understanding what is going on so that we are praying in accordance with the will of God. So let me take you back to Matthew 24, and I want to look at some of the parallel passages with you um, that uh, the, the, the uh, Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke, and uh, John is, uh, spends most of his time talking about uh, that encouragement to the believer in, in this, uh, this time frame that Jesus is sharing with his disciples what is to come. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of parallel passages, uh, and John gives us more context uh, as an encouragement to the believer when we are uh, feeling afraid in particular. So Matthew 24, uh, I know I read some of this last time, but it never hurts to read scripture. In fact, that's what we should do primarily. So his his disciples come to him as they're on the Mount of Olives, and they ask him, uh, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Now, uh, deception, the word that is used there 
in the Greek is interesting because it, it's uh, sometimes you think about uh, the phrase, you know, don't be deceived, and you don't really understand what it means. What that word means and what it communicates to us is not to be led away from truth, not to be led away from God's storyline, from his narrative. Um, it is easy for us to get sidetracked when we look at the crazy things going on and we start listening to what different people are saying about it and we get um, we find comfort in like-minded people but really what we need to pay attention is that we're not being deceived in the sense of what does god say is going to happen and what do we need to be looking for Scripture is very clear that there are certain events that have to take place before Jesus can come again. For us to even pray and say, Jesus, uh, come now, come today, uh, it, that is not a uh, prayer that he can answer and stay true to his word. He would be denying the things that he had said have to take place uh, for instance, there has to be a Jewish temple uh, that will be rebuilt at some point in the future. I, I think it'll be soon, um, but but I don't know when. Uh, but that has to take place because the Antichrist, once the tribulation starts, three and a half years later, he is setting himself up as God in the Jewish temple. And before that, Jewish uh, worship, uh, sacrifices in the temple have been taking place. So um, that, that has to happen before Christ can return. He also, he said very clearly, there's seven years that take place before the return of Christ, before he sets up his kingdom. So he has to stay true to that. Um, so by us uh, denying that and saying, oh, well, he's coming for his church, um, essentially what the pre-tribulational rapture is saying is that Christ comes again twice. He comes to collect his church, and then he comes again to set up his kingdom. Well, nowhere in Scripture does it talk about him coming twice, uh, except if you if you look at his first coming and then his second coming. That's two times. But his first coming aside, there is not a second and then a third coming. There is only a second coming. So that's another reason why I believe the pre-tribulational rapture is is a false teaching. Uh, it goes on in Matthew 24, uh, verse 5. It says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Uh, this is uh, not just talking outside of the church. This is specifically talking inside the church. Uh, false Christ, the, the word Christ, or in uh, Christ is actually the, the Greek word, Christos, uh, the Hebrew word is Messiah, uh, which is uh, the Messiah. So Christ and Messiah is interchangeable. This is not uh, Jesus's last name. We, we oftentimes just say Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus is his name. Uh, God is salvation is what his name means. Yeshua is the Hebrew for that. Um, Christ is not his last name. Christ is his title or his office. Uh, the word means anointed one. Uh, 
So he is the only anointed one of God to be our salvation. Those that come in his name claiming that they are the Christ, what they're saying is they are anointed by God to bring about uh, uh, a, a saving event, whatever this is in, in relation to, uh, claiming to be anointed by God to bring some type of uh, salvation, whether uh, not not necessarily even talking about spiritual salvation, but being someone who can change the situation and, and claiming to be anointed uh, by God to do that. It goes on to say, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now, this uh, you will hear of wars. This this hearing is you will hear of things being at the point of war. They are intended to be wars, and the rumors of wars you'll you'll be receiving reports of wars. So there's uh, you know a, a lot of us have never experienced uh, a, an actual physical war that we have been. Uh, surrounded by. Now, I have never been in a physical uh, place where there has been a physical war uh, where I've had to fear for my life. I've never been in that situation. Many of you listening to this podcast, depending on where you are in the world, you may right now be in a war situation. But uh, we have all heard the rumors of wars, the reports of wars. We can see it on our TV screens if we have a TV. And uh, uh, there, there is an increase of wars that are taking place. Our, our world is riddled with wars. You can do some research on uh, whether it's the United Nations uh, websites or, or other uh, websites that follow um, the events of, of countries around the world, there are more wars and more death happening now than in any other time in history, if you look at the last hundred years. Um, so and it goes on to say, uh, see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So there's going to be an increase in these things. But there, the end is not yet. Why is the end not yet? Because there's things that God has planned to happen, uh, not just the maturing of the church that I keep on talking about, but also another thing that scripture talks about is the maturing of wickedness. Uh, in the end times, the church is going to be functioning at the highest level of intimacy with Christ and of uh, real power in the Holy Spirit, um, a full expression of the love of God. But on the flip side of that, the earth is going to be released to be able to walk in the fullness of their sin. Scripture in Revelation, it talks about sin becoming ripe. Uh, I want you to understand that what you see in the world today is just a beginning of sorrows, a beginning of birth pains. It is going to get much, much worse. 
Now, if you're terrified of what is happening now in the world, I want you to understand you really need to invest in your relationship with Jesus to get solid and grounded in these things. Uh, it's as I was talking about with the ten virgins. Be wise in investing in the oil of intimacy so that your lamp will be able to burn throughout whatever is happening and you'll have confidence in God's protection in his love and his care for you don't be focused on the signs take those as comforting events in the sense that you understand God is allowing these things to take place. He's told us beforehand that they're going to happen, and he is working his purposes. All things work together for good to those who are the called of God. They're called by God, and it says according to his purposes. All things work together for good to those who are the called and those who are his. Uh, it just it strikes me that his desire is to mature us and to use wicked events to see us come to a full expression of his love for us and us to function in his love and through the power of his Holy Spirit. It says uh, in verse 7, For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Now, this is interesting when you look at the, uh, the original words used here. Uh, when it talks about kingdom rising against kingdom and nation against nation, the nation is the the ethnos, um, the ethnic conflict that is is taking place. Uh, the kingdom, what what is in view here, is rulership over regions and countries and sections of the world. The rulership is being questioned. Who has the right to rule? We see that in our own nation here in the United States with uh, the um, partisan approach to who's in charge, who has the right to rule. Uh, kingdom is rising against kingdom. And then it says, there will be famines. Uh, now, currently in the world, there's uh, four countries that are in a famine as, as countries, uh, but there's food shortages in 55 countries, according to the BBC. Uh, one in 10 experience hunger uh, globally. And it says pestilences. Uh, this is not just the diseases, but it's also speaking of biological warfare and uh, earthquakes in various places. There's 55 earthquakes per day currently. Uh, the, uh, we've exceeded the long-term average of major earthquakes by over a dozen times. So that, that is definitely an increase in earthquakes. 
uh, in recent times. So, and uh, then it makes that statement in verse 8, all these are the beginning of SARS. That's that first time frame. Now, I want to take you over to Mark. Mark chapter 13 is the uh, parallel passage, and it mentions a lot of the same things, but there, uh, there is one additional event that it mentions here. So let me read these verses, uh, Mark 13, starting with uh, verse 4. Again, the question is asked, tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And Jesus answered them, began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you. We saw that in Matthew. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. That was also in Matthew. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled. For such things must happen, but the end is not yet. Again, we saw that in Matthew. Verse 8. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines. And then it uses a new term, it says, and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrow. So the troubles, that word is speaking of chaotic events, revolutions, and border disputes. Uh, can you think of uh, some things in the United States recently that, ha that would fall in that category? Chaotic events, um, talk of revolution, and uh, disputing who is in control of what, that definitely fits our, our time period. Uh, and again, he says, these are the beginnings of sorrows. So the, these are the signs that we are to be looking for and paying attention to in this pre-tribulation time period. Uh, before the tribulation starts, these are the birth pains or the beginning of sorrows. And then the next parallel passage is Luke 21. Uh, Luke 21. Uh, and again, they ask him the question. In uh, verse 7, uh, they asked him, saying, Teach, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And then he said, Take heed that you not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. Now, it's interesting that they, uh, uh, Luke says, uh, they will say the time has drawn near. One thing that I have seen such an increase of discussion on in various prophetic forums, uh, particularly on Facebook, is, oh, the rapture must be uh, going to happen uh, this month, uh, a lot of them are saying September, there's been some prophecies about uh, calendars and different things. And, oh, it's got to be now. And why hasn't it happened yet? And, oh, okay, well, maybe it's going to happen tomorrow or next month, or certainly it'll happen before the election. Uh, the, that is what this is talking about. It says, they will come in my name saying, I am he and the time has drawn near. Now, the time uh, of... Jesus is coming is what's in view here. Uh, I uh, Again, there are events that have to take place before Christ can come again for him to be true to his word. So what does Jesus say about the people that are saying this? He says, therefore, do not go after them. Don't, don't follow after them. Don't uh, heed their warnings 
look at what scripture says and heed scripture's warnings. Verse 9, when you hear of wars and commotions, uh, commotions are instability. It's a state of disorder, or confusion. Uh, we see that in our country again very clearly. There is so much instability right now. There's such a state of disorder in so many cities. And we blame parties for it. But what, what the truth of the matter is, these are signs God is allowing to take place. You need to understand that sin has consequences. They are not just personal consequences, but they are also community consequences and national consequences. When there is sin that is upheld as being righteous, that has consequences. And so these signs that are are coming are a consequence of sin and and ultimately jesus is going to be driving wickedness off of the planet and you know he's he's going to bring real judgments physical judgments when jesus comes again he's not coming as a baby in a manger he's coming as a warring king and the judgments that are happening before he comes again they are going to offend many in the church because they are not ready for Jesus coming as a warring king. They're looking for Jesus coming as a baby in a manger. We need to understand that God is zealous for righteousness. He's zealous for his people and his people are going to be in distress because of the events that are happening. But we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. It goes on. Uh, so when you hear of wars and commotions, he gives the command, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. So uh, his exhortation is, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid. These things have to happen first. He's telling us what's going to happen, why they're going to happen, and he is encouraging us that the end is going to come he is coming again but not yet then he said to them nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences and there will be and here's another uh, new part in in luke he says and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. The fearful sights. The Greek word here is, uh, the root word is phobos, uh, from which we get our English word phobia. Uh, they're terrorizing events, uh, violence and perversion. Uh, a recent example would be uh, the terror attacks uh, that we've seen so uh, prevalent in different parts of the world, but even going back to September 11th, 2001, with the attacks on the Twin Towers and the Pentagon, um, those were terrorizing events made or, or designed to bring fear, to instill fear. Uh, and then it says, great signs from heaven. This is the one that, that uh, I, 
in a sense troubles me the most uh, because a lot of the other uh, signs we can prepare for and we can do uh, uh, do things to to keep ourselves safe in this but great signs from heaven uh, whatever that ends up looking like whether it's weather uh, or whether it's cosmic um, we, we need to understand that God is the one who protects his people. He is the one who gathers us and shelters us and protects us. So that's why it's so important that we are um, investing in our relationship with Jesus, in that intimacy with him, so that we know his voice. Jesus said, my, my sheep hear my voice. They, and they, they respond to it. They do what I'm telling them to do. If we don't invest time in hearing his voice, we won't hear his warnings. You, you think of uh, like Joseph, uh, Mary and Joseph, when uh, after Jesus had been born, uh, he was warned in a dream that he should flee with his family to Egypt. What if Joseph hadn't been listening? I mean, obviously God would would have protected uh, Jesus and, and uh, his plan was going to be accomplished uh, for sure. But but just as an example, what if Joseph didn't have ears to hear? That that whole uh, event could have turned out very differently. Now, there's numerous examples in Scripture of people hearing God's voice and heeding His instruction. There's also numerous examples of people being encountered by uh, God's messengers and them rejecting what God was saying, and, su- and they then suffered the consequences. So what is the most important thing with looking at all of these signs that Jesus has told us about? It's to be listening, preparing, watching, praying, understanding what he's doing, partnering with the heart of God through all of it. A lot of things that we've talked about today, uh, again, I encourage you to uh, to look at these parallel passages, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, and then also go and take a look at John chapters 14 through 17. You know, he he has promised his peace. He has promised also trouble in the world. But he has overcome the world. Do not be fearful. Keep your eyes on Jesus. God bless you.